Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. We are getting to the end of season three, and I will say I have been highly impressed by season three so far. A lot of these episodes have definitely exceeded my expectations. I say this because this episode actually did make me cry and was really well acted, I thought, and the story was really well written, well written, and I really loved the cinematography and the direction. Next week, however, we'll be covering Viking Vikers from Hell, so <laughs> two very different ends of the spectrum. But let's talk about the episode this week. This week, we are covering Season 3, Episode 21, Knock Knock, Who's There? Per IMDb, this is the synopsis. While Crockett and Tubbs are meeting undercover with the dealer, DE agents raid the buy and take the cash and drugs. The DEA admits to nothing, setting in motion an internal affairs investigation into Crockett himself. Crockett decides to talk to someone he knows in the DEA, who, unbeknownst to him, is the one responsible for stealing the money. Now, in true 80s Miami fashion, we see officers outside of a nightclub, and we get a really nice, smooth, solid intro to the whole episode with this. They're on side. It's going down. That song you hear in the background is Ride Across the River by Dire Straits. So as we see these agents sitting in their car, waiting for this deal to go down, we get a look at the deal. And my oh my, this is a time I'm going to direct you to the gallery because the nightclub is closed. I'm assuming, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. But there are two girls in sparkly bikinis dancing on stage with the lights on. While Ian McShane, yes, the Ian McShane, who I looked up, is doesn't appear to be Latino in any respect. So <laughs> he just put on an accent, a little bit of a tan, a little bit of guy liner, I'm thinking, in this episode, too. I could see, like, a little bit of smokiness in the eyes to meet with Crockett and Tubbs. They're about to make a deal as Burnett and Cooper. Now, as we open up a briefcase full of cash, as was the style at the time, Tubbs cuts open the bag of cocaine and tests a little bit of it. As he shakes it up, he notices that it's not pure. Hmm. This wasn't the deal they had. Guaranteed 80% purity. Okay, and so that's not good because their original deal was that Esteban Montoya would get 40% up front, but Crock and Tubbs aren't getting 80% purity, so they're going to renege on that deal. Esteban, however, is on the hook to make the difference. Oh, boo-hoo. Crock and Tubbs don't really care. And it's at that time the DEA busts in. This is where you can tell that things look a little bit weird. Crock and Tubbs are used to being booked, Usually, they would at least recognize one or two people. They would, you know, be able to play it that they're still undercover. They wouldn't be busted at the scene. But this seems a little bit different. Number one, what I notice is that they're getting zip-tied. Right? Like, that's a little bit weird. Then one of the agents stands up in his DA hat and reads off a card what sounds like Miranda rights, but it's phrased a little bit differently. Like, we're all used to hearing the Miranda rights on, obviously, like, Law and Order. But the way he phrased it was a little bit different. And I did look this up. I was like, maybe it's different from state to state. Um, but 
it's different from what we've heard so far on Miami Vice. So it wouldn't have been different in Florida. And when I was trying to look up different Miranda rights, I just got answers that weren't cohesive. And I couldn't find this script that he was reading. So that's also very interesting. So they take the money and they take the drugs and they book it. And they say that Metro is going to do pickup. Weird, right? And with that, we get to the intro. First off, I want to thank this episode for After the Cold Opening, opening on a beautiful white building with tons of glass blocks. How they know the way to my heart. Castillo calls up the DEA and they won't talk. They have already sent the money up to Washington. And Castillo orders Crockett and Tubbs to meet with the composite artists to get a sketch of their faces. Now at the DEA, they're having a meeting where they're also stumped as to why Washington and them aren't having clear communication as to what happened. The head, whoever's leading this meeting, knows that there was no bus last night. So what's going on? Because he gets a call from Vice about the bust. And where's the money? Where's the drugs? They need that buy money to make another deal. Weird. So after the meeting, we see a woman. She knocks over her cup of coffee and she's very flustered. And she's profusely apologizing. And they talk. And it turns out there's a big reason why she's so flustered. You've got a kid in the hospital who doesn't need you catching a bullet because you're operating on three cylinders. How do you expect me to pay those medical bills, sell pencils in the street? Maybe Chuck will join the circus. I'm sorry. Oh, man, that was the last thing that anybody needs. And you can tell that she looks very flustered. She looks stressed. and But she does say to her boss that, like, she's never made a mistake. So you can tell that she's emotionally run herself thin, but maybe professionally she's able to keep it all together. Well, we'll see. Now, I did write in my notes that she's very Natasha Leone-esque. And it's funny, I looked at her IMDb and her last credit was Russian Doll. So now I gotta watch it. Everyone's been telling me to watch it, but I'm like, well, if those two are gonna smoke cigarettes and talk in those super husky voices in that show, gotta check it out. Now, we are back at the precinct where Esteban is being interrogated, but he's got a very good lawyer. Not only that, a vice has a lot of holes in their case. Esteban is really thankful for the American judicial process in this next scene. Your client was arrested holding, say, a weight. What is that so-called weight now? What is so-called feds that busted me? You're going to waltz your way into a civil suit here, Lieutenant Castillo. See a wonderful country we live in, isn't it, Lieutenant? Even the accused have rights. Well, Esteban Matoya definitely knows his stuff. He's definitely read up about this. Now, Croc and Tubbs are looking incredible, both in different gray outfits. Crockett is wearing a gray sport coat, white pants with his striped blue. I want to say it's like silk stripes. You have like a shiny, not shiny. I know that's a very inarticulate way of saying this. But he looks great. Looks like a million bucks. While, of course, Tubbs is in a full suit with a jewel tone indigo tie. And the way that they're shot and the shadow work in the play of this shot in this scene is incredible. And this is after they're listening in to the interrogation. 
And they're starting to also question, like, what's going on with the DEA as well? Unfortunately, just at that time, a guy in comically oversized glasses knocks on the door, asks for Crockett, and tells Crockett to make his way to internal affairs, and that Tubbs will be next. We get to meet with a very smarmy, and unfortunately... Poorly... Okay, how am I going (laughs) to... This hairline is definitely receding and he is not doing any favors. (laughs) He is one smarmy SOB and he has it out for Crockett. He thinks that Crockett and Tubbs are the dirty ones. And that this DEA bust that has a lot of holes is their doing. Which would lead me to believe that maybe... Just maybe a couple of vice guys got tired of playing the part. Decided they'd rather live the dream. Crockett rightly tells him to, quote, suck eggs. I don't really understand the meaning behind that insult. Just telling someone to F off. But then the internal affairs agent doubles down. Let me tell you something, Crockett. After all the clothes, cars, and boats are washed away, you're still a 32-5 a year flatfoot just like the rest of us. And if I think you're even the least bit dirty, I'll hold your head underwater until you float. Okay, again, Crockett's salary has been greatly debated and talked about in this series. So I did the math. I remember when he was saying he was a 450 a week employee. Then Calderon told Tubbs he was a $400 a week. So doing the math, that would lead them to about like $20,000. Okay, back then. So 32.5 would be the equivalent today in 2023 of $89,642.63. Which is not bad if you consider that the cost of living in Miami was a lot lower in the 80s than it is now. So, interesting. I don't know. Uh, They're just jumping all over the place with numbers. Or maybe it was a price I was going to say. I remember there was a lot of inflation in the late 80s, so maybe that was it too. But this agent, he has it for Crockett. But I will say, as much as I make fun of his hairline, oh my god, great voice, great delivery. I do not know why this guy did not have a bigger career. Maybe he did more voice acting. Maybe he did more theater stuff on the side. Because, like, that gets deep under your skin. Now, let's go to the docks. It is at night. It is spooky. It is blue. And we have Brian Adams playing in the background. But before you dismiss me, this is actually one of the best thematically appropriate songs. And I remember this was also used in a commercial from Amy Vice in the 80s. Next. Such a great song. Like, obviously, Run To You by Brian Adams is so associated with Vice City. And I wonder if they just couldn't get the rights to this song to play in Vice City because it just fits so well with, like, a humid, sticky night. Oh, 
Love it. Now, there is a deal going down. So we have some interestingly dressed characters that I will try to accurately describe in detail. We have a gentleman with a silk jacket, a bronze silk undershirt, obviously unbuttoned with the collar popped with kind of like a curly mullet with lots of gold chains as he's counting wads of cash. Then we have a couple other gentlemen. We have one in like a textured paisley teal suit. And then we have another guy who I didn't really focus much on except for his wrist. We have a really nice gold watch, nice ring. And of course, he's opening up a briefcase full of cash. Again, another DEA bust. However, one of the guys has a shotgun hidden, takes it out, and actually blows one of the agents away. Then, as we pull out from the scene, we notice the same woman from the DEA, the flustered one with the son in the hospital, she's looking at this deal gone wrong. As Crockett and Tubbs pull up to the crime scene, and I did take a great gif of the Testarossa's lights going down because I always wanted a car that did that, that had the lights that would pop up and the lights that would pop down. Oh, always wanted one. I understand they're probably not economical and, you know, it's only 40 years later. <laughs> Actually, it's 39. Miami Vice celebrated its 39th birthday. So we're all feeling old. As they come onto the scene, Crockett and Tubbs want to get a little more information from the guys. They're not really looking to talk, but they do have an interesting point about how the DEA bust went down and whether they followed proper procedures. Next clip. Yeah, I saw IDs. M16s. Lots and lots of M16s. They get told off for doing that thing that managers do where they ask you a question, but they know the answer. They tell the answer anyway. And it's like, then why'd you ask me? Like, you... <laughs> be upfront. But to figure out the guy doesn't really want to talk. He's like, what's on the table for me? So he wants a deal before he talks. <sighs> so we see the same woman again. She's walking to the port. It looks to be like... Maybe a little bit more well-lit, so maybe in a different location. We see some guys with guns. Very similarly looking guys, the DHs. I wasn't able to get all their faces, but like from what I could tell, a couple of them are repeat offenders that we could see in the first scene, per my photos. They're on a boat called Big Al, which is funny because if you live in Los Angeles or I'm sure Southern California, you know that there's a Big Al uh, injury attorney that he's always on the radio, and it's actually owned by... Just like your standard run-of-the-mill white guy, but they just call it Big Al. Like, they, you expect for Big Al to come to court to defend you. And no, Big Al does not exist. So I thought that was very funny. She wants to talk to them. She is not happy. And not because for the reasons you might think in this next clip. Where is he? He's not here. Get him here fast. The deal's off. You guys screwed up. Well, self-defense. It's a load. Your procedure stinks. I've told you time and time again. Get him down in a clean area, immediately cuff and frisk. Yeah, well, it doesn't always go down like your diagrams. Then make it go down like my diagrams. Otherwise, you guys are going to wind up shooting each other. I could not love this actress more. A husky, transatlantic accent bossing around a bunch of criminals. But again, they're criminals that are working for her. Why are they following her diagrams? Because she is the one orchestrating this. Damn. 
this, this. This is kind of smart, especially when you really like someone. And you're like, this is not how I wanted this story to go. Now, back at OCB, Croc and Tubbs want a way to speed things up. And they're not really getting anywhere with their investigation. Washington doesn't want to talk. Miami DA doesn't want to talk. And then Washington does not want to talk to Miami Vice, especially not to Castillo, especially not to Crockett and Tubbs. Crockett mentions that there's another way and that they can take a back door. Hmm. Now, this is where it gets sad. We go to the hospital and we see the woman walking with an older man. And I love that they go through just kind of like a little courtyard. And because it's Miami, it's raining. So he just pops up an umbrella, walks with her across, and then takes the umbrella down as they walk inside. And I got to say, this is a super cool hallway in a hospital. And it just looks so tropical. It kind of looks like a greenhouse because you have the rain, you have the trees outside. But unfortunately, the conversation is not good. Basically, the... Gentlemen, I'm, I'm assuming that it's his doctor is telling her that he needs a kidney transplant, that he needs to be put on the donor list as soon as possible, and that it's still going to be a long wait. When she pushes back and asks why, basically he explains logistics and that they need a kidney basically within 30 minutes of someone dying and he'll require dialysis until he can get this transplant. So she gets this devastating news. Furthermore, also just, well, American news. I'll put it that way in this next clip. What you might want to think about, however, is your insurance. <laughs> They've been screaming up to this point. They're really going to start to rustle now. Sometimes, even with their help, just the uncovered costs can be pretty staggering. It's not like I have a choice. Yeah. I just think you should know what's around the bench. It's no problem. What am I going to do, bargain with my kid's life? Eight years old. Pretty arbitrary, huh? He lucked out in one respect. Oh, yeah? What? He's got a hell of a mother. Oh. Now, don't at me and be like, this guy took a vacation with 10 years ago who lives in Canada, posted on Facebook that, you know, the Canadian healthcare system is so bad. It's not perfect. But universal health care does mean that organ transplant recipients, like my brother, who has received two liver transplants, are not steamrolled and bankrupted into debt. He does have a decent amount to pay for his medication. And I remember uh, the I think we had a call, an ambulance once, and that was about $400. Again, for life-saving procedures, I was very thankful that the Ontario and the Quebec government took care of him and that those were the only costs he had to pay. And it's not easy, but it's just one less thing for a family to worry about, as you can see in this episode. Maybe that's why I cried a lot during this episode, because I was like, oh, wow, like sliding doors. And my mom was working in a bank for the time, so she had a lot of American co-workers that she'd deal with. And... More than one of them told her, like, verbatim, thank God he's in Canada. And that is insane to think about. And, yeah, it's not perfect. And I know it's not getting any better. And, yeah, the wait times do suck sometimes. But for life-saving procedures, I was very happy that a life-changing 
procedure that saves your life will also not risk bankrupting you or crippling you with insurmountable debt. So let's get more depressed. Let's go visit in with her son. Her son is staying alone at the hospital. He has get well balloons. There's a nurse in the room with him. She comes to visit him. He seems really happy, but you know, he's a little hungry. He's a little thirsty. And unfortunately, the nurse is honest and laments that unfortunately she's on a strict diet, but she says she's going to go sneak away and get him some candy bars. This is a scene that cut deep. Mom, uh. are you scared? Me? Uh-uh. You sure look scared. Not me. Not me. Good. Me either. Oh, man, because you can really see the emotion in her eyes and, like, the change in the tone of her voice. Like, just lying to herself and lying to her son, she doesn't want to make anything harder for her son. Like, obviously her son is scared. Obviously she's scared. Like... But she doesn't want to make him more scared. He's the one who's alone in the hospital. He's only eight years old. So, oh man. Let's change gears. We are going to a very sexy, foggy canal in this next scene. I need cash. Your boy. Yes, my son. not sure if you can hear it, but he's basically putting a wad of cash in her hand and kissing her hand. And this is because she's like kind of wanting to pull out of the deal. Like again, like it's just getting to be too overwhelming for her, but again, the cash. And that song playing in the background is Underwater Boys by Shriekback. That song does not sound like it would come from a band called Shriekback, but I digress. So after she gets the cash from Ian McShane dressed in a leather duster, (laughs) I looked it up. This episode was filmed in February because I was like, I don't know how he's just not boiling in that. But that's very Mac from Always Sunny to be wearing the leather duster. And then he takes it off and he looks like a croupier at a casino (laughs) with a little bow tie. And then he goes back on his boat in the sexy foggy canal. Now, remember when last time we saw Crockett and Tubbs, Crockett was talking about getting a back door to some kind of information or some kind of access to the DEA. Keep that in mind. They're meeting up with an old friend and he's a former cop. He was shot and he's currently in a wheelchair. And I love the decor of this apartment. House, apartment, bungalow. Yeah, let me say bungalow. Beautifully lit beautiful furniture, beautiful couches. They're all drinking what looks to be like rum and Cokes out of flamingo detailed Collins glasses. I didn't have much luck using Google Lens for this, but I do remember I saw a set at a shop in Toronto and I was like, oh, I would, I'm like, I'm not shipping that back to Los Angeles. But they're so beautiful and they had flamingos on them as well. So that's going to be my next, like, flea market hunt is for glasses like this. So they're catching up and he's basically talking about how poor his mental state was after the shooting and kind of saying some really dark things, like basically saying that a lot of his friends don't want to hang out with him because his accident reminds them of their mortality. And then his wife comes home. 
His wife is the same woman we just saw with Montoya, the same woman at the hospital, the same DEA agent who's all flustered. She knows Crockett and Tubbs. Not very well, but clearly they have some kind of acquaintanceship, friendship, whatever you have it. He, the husband, wants her to stay and chat. She tries to get out of it. She's like, you know, I have all this paperwork. I'll let you guys talk shop. Then Linda, Linda's her name. And Crock and Tubbs kind of spill the beans on why they can't talk in this next clip. Not supposed to be fraternizing with us vice guys anyway. Yeah. Why? I said security order. What for? There's been a run on suspicious DEA raids. No arrests, no warrants. They just take the goodies and run. We're not supposed to talk about it. Coincidental visit, huh, Sonny? Haven't seen or heard from you in two years. And you think you can just pop in, smile, and bleed a little info out? You know the weight of the door. Whew, that scene also cut deep because I can just imagine, I can't even imagine the mindset where he was just opening up to Crockett and Tubbs about how people are avoiding him and then they don't reach out to him in two years. And I'm, he's a former cop as well. Maybe they sent him a get well card, but they never like followed up with anything. And then just, like, waltz in and pay him a home visit just to get close to his wife to be able to talk about what's going on with the DA. Like, that is a really crappy feeling. And Crockett really screwed up on that one. Because, like, that broke my heart as well. I'm tearing up a little bit. Sorry. You can hear it in my voice. Ooh, my notes just say, damn Crockett in capital letters. Oh, man. Now we go back to the precinct. Uh, they have a little bit of an update. Crockett got some info that the DEA didn't get those warrants issued in the past couple weeks for the bus that had been going on, where Gina and Trudy also say that the DEA doesn't have, like, a rotating roster. Like, there haven't been a lot of new hires or transfers in the past couple weeks. So, therefore, Crockett and Tubbs should have been able to recognize some of them, Right. So, once again, we get the same news from Castillo. You won't receive any cooperation from DEA. They want to run an in-house investigation. That ought to take about six months. Maybe with the right bait and smoke, we can give him a little help. Yeah, and this is funny. This is after Zvitek says, like, oh, it'll probably be like six months. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> so, yeah, Croc is just thinking on how to speed up the process. And he's going to smoke them out. Now let's go back to the apartment where Linda is unbagging groceries and she wants to show her husband the blankets that she ordered. And she puts them over the back of his wheelchair and one for summer, one for winter. And I think it's super sweet. And they do have a very sweet moment. And she updates him on what the doctor said. But again, her demeanor is like pretty up overall. And he just wants to make sure they're on the same page about money in this next clip. Honey, 
You know I'd sell what little life I have left before giving up on Brian. He'll have the transplant, but we just can't pretend like there's no problem with money. I know. You remember what we promised each other a long time ago now? No jackpots, no one-time fixers. Hey, 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 I know what it's like seeing more money in one suitcase than you can make in 10 years. Slime balls with watches that could pay the mortgage on this house. It's not worth it, babe. Hey, I'm all right. Promise? Promise. Message. They laid it on extra thick with the messaging in that scene. But she promises him. Hmm. Okay, let's change course a little bit here. We're going to a very funky art gallery where we have three people painted, wearing bodysuits, standing while the main man is rotating in the middle. Hmm, I wonder who that could be. Emotion and movement encompassing the entire essence of the human predicament. Yes. Okay. Be quiet, huh? Smoke them if you got them, man. Now, Crockett, as is he, to be, you know, once again, the word on the street, to spread the word that Burnett is doing a big deal tonight. They want to find the leak. Yes, this harkens back to just a couple episodes ago where Annette Bening was the leak. So, also, remember how Scotty Wheeler was the shady DA, DEA agent? Very funny. I really am impressed more than I thought with how well done season three is. You know, I've like watched in passing, but to really kind of focus and watch these episodes in detail, I was very impressed. But I'm like, oh yeah, they're definitely recycling a lot of plot points. And I'm just noticing because I'm speeding it, speeding it by. Now, Croc and Tubbs are at a cafe, and this cafe has been featured in multiple episodes. I'm just trying to remember what episode it was. Hopefully, by the time you listen to this, that will be edited out with the correct episode on it. And Linda comes by to talk shop. Crockett asked Linda if the DEA is doing an internal investigation. They also mentioned to her that they think that it's on the inside. She acts surprised. She feigns that she's surprised. But you can see in her eyes, she's a little terrified. She goes back to the DEA, back to work. She comes back from, I guess, her lunch break to a bunch of messages. And you can see the look on her face is still panicked as she's looking through these message notes. She meets with Esteban, who I wrote is dressed like Dracula. Oh my God, you... Oh my God, it's a picture of him smoking with her in the white jacket and the green dress. And he has the duster over his shoulders and like the three-piece tuxedo with the... I'm just going to play the clip. I can't stop. What's that? All the information you can give me on Sonny Burnett. You stung him already. The house last week. Apparently he's ripe for another fall. All I need is a little information. His file, his contacts, and any other addendums. Then we are through. Forever. The game cannot continue indefinitely. 
kind of pull his file? Oh, wow. Now this is definitely, what, red tape two episodes ago? Oh, man. But you can tell that she is really conflicted here. But I guess that he's dangling the word forever and the promise of forever ceasing contact, and she's really drawn to that. So she agrees. She asks him not to contact her and that she'll get it to him. Now let's go back to the precinct where Crockett and Tubbs are going over photos of DE agents trying to, you know, recognize any. When our boy from Internal Affairs comes in, he has great news for himself. And again, says it like a complete douchebag in this next clip. Just wanted to bring you the good news. And the business tomorrow, you and your partner at home working on your tans. Take it down the road, Waystro. You're wasting good oxygen. I'm recommending suspension without pay pending full investigation into this matter. What? Are you crazy? You sanctimonious piece. Come on, dirty your shoes. I'd love to put you away. Sonny, he's not worth it. Open your palms, Crockett. I'm nailing you to a cross. Now, I wish there was a little bit more backstory on what the beef is between Crockett and Stroh, whatever. (laughs) He comes back. Sorry, not spoiling anything, but like, he comes back. And I wish they just kind of like made more of a character arc for him. So we know where the animosity is brewing from. Now, this is my wild theory. It's also just me being very shallow. Crockett is too good looking. Tubbs is too good looking. And I understand there's a lot of dirty agents and bad agents and dirty people. But they have to focus on talking to Crockett and Tubbs, number one, because obviously they're the main characters. Nobody would care if, I guess actually I would care a little bit, um, if it were Gina or Zoytek or Castillo. Oh, Castillo, that'd be funny. Because <laughs> he would give no information because he has no information to give. Like all these people are solid, trustworthy people. And it's other agencies like the DEA and the FBI that are causing the problems and that have leaks the department of justice so yeah like i really do sympathize with crockett and tubbs and i think a lot of this has to do with jealousy like how many super hot internal affairs agents have we seen in the show just saying not saying now i love this scene as well because they are all in yellow looking amazing and by all i mean crockett and gina but they're both in like very similar shades of bright yellow Trudy is wearing a really beautiful, looks to be like a silver and black print dress. And of course, Tubbs is in silver. Now, remember when the second bust went awry and a couple people died? Now, she was able to ID the DEA agent, quote unquote, that was killed in this deal. She's able to finger him as one of Esteban Montoya's associates. Very, very interesting. So Crockett goes to meet up with Linda 
at possibly the same cafe, but I want to say it's a different setup because that cafe, um, we didn't get to see the whole exterior. I know there were windows, so maybe they're just sitting in a different part. And we do see a Cuban American flag in the background. Um, great shop, by the way. This is also like a really great shop because they're shadowed. Like their faces are very dark and obscured as they're facing each other. So you just only see their profile. They're having this meeting. So Crockett can let her know about the deal going down. Again, she pretends to act surprised. Oh my God, my note is, it's her own people. <laughs> oh my God. And before we leave the cafe, there is a great gif that I made of Crockett putting on his sunglasses before he leaves. Now, again, Crockett's going to go make this deal. Linda goes home. Obviously, it just came from the mailbox, some mail, while her husband is holding a wad of cash, rolled up wad of cash that he found because he decided he wanted to drink tea that day and not coffee. So he went to a different cabinet. The money fell out. Whew. Then he also tries to talk some sense into her and delivers a devastating line. What are you asking me to do? Trade my wife or my son? Oh, man, because she's trying to kind of like basically minimize the situation where he knows that she's obviously doing something bad by obtaining this giant wad of cash in the line of work that she's in, knowing that Vice and DEA were having some issues that he was not privy to. Maybe he got a little bit more information from her after they left. But, oh, man, well... I was going to say it wouldn't have happened anyway, but at the cafe, he wanted to apologize to her husband and she was basically, ah, you know, he can't hold a grudge. Well, uh, let's see how this all plays out. Now, again, she knows that Crockett's going to go make the deal. He, again, knows that there is inside DA involvement. Her husband now knows that she's doing something shady. So all her walls are closing in. So she's finally having a cigarette. I've been waiting all episode for her to smoke because I'm like, I know that raspiness does not just come naturally. <laughs> you can have a little bit of a huskiness, but like that kind of like, she's definitely enjoying some marble lights. So at the club, she and Esteban are talking. We got a goon hanging out in the background, keeping an eye on things. Now Esteban says the plan has changed. <sighs> this poor woman can't catch a break, can she? Maybe she, uh... Shouldn't be selling out. Go. He's a good cop. Oh, fine. We'll give him an official send-off. Big flag over his casket. Hmm? You can't kill him. What else to do with the pest? Our deal was nobody dies. You gave me a word on that one. Circumstances have changed. No longer your decision. It's my life, and I plan to see my kid on something besides visiting that. You got that? Well, surprise, surprise, Linda. The criminal that you are doing illegally shady business with is changing his word and going back on his promise. I would have had no idea that could ever happen. Oh man, even my notes were like, I'm not surprised. So she listens to the phone call that is between Montoya and Burnett. She doesn't say anything. She goes to the hospital to give her son a kiss while he's sleeping. And look at his football clock. He has a football clock. 
Oh, it's so sweet. I want to say that is Green Bay Packers, but he's wearing a red, so it's Georgia. Um, try my best over here. <laughs> Maybe it's Georgia. I don't know. But, oh, man, just really heartbreaking. But Esteban and Burnett and Cooper are going to meet at Gaiocho. And you have to love this scene because you have to see the disparity of what people are wearing in February. Because again, like I've already mentioned, Montoya is quite a fan of his leather duster. Whereas people in the audience are dancing with shirts open, they're wearing shorts, they're wearing dresses, they're in sleeveless gear, and then you can have like crock and tubs, waltz in, in, you know, they look, they look professional enough, but it's just very funny. I'm like, what is the temperature at this event? I would very much like to know. But I guess... Croc and Tubbs are not going to be dancing. Well, maybe Tubbs. Not Croc. Croc will definitely not be dancing. But, so they're not dressed for that, whereas everyone else is. But it's also like everybody's out and about. There's tons of witnesses. There's tons of eyeballs. There is an amazingly decked out dance and singing group that are all in like white, fluffy outfits. It is amazing. And they all look like a million bucks. This is the sound that sounds like a meow in this song that is super catchy in this next clip. Now, that is one catchy song. And can what I could kind of understand from the lyrics, basically she's jealous and then she wants to basically protect her husband, the song's name is La Vecina, so the female neighbor, and it's by Belkis Concepcion y sus chicas, but it is incredibly catchy, and it's like actually kind of like a fun, fast-paced song for what's about to go down, and yes, that did sound like a meow, so, <laughs> but very much enjoying this. Now, Croc and Tubbs are there to make this deal. We see Zwitek over by the wall, and we see Gina in the crowd with the walkie-talkie, looking like a million dollars in yellow. So she's giving Zwitek and the team updates on Crockett and Tubbs' position. Now, Zwitek doesn't have any information on Esteban's position. <laughs> My note, are those lyrics meows? Now, Esteban is walking into this crowded event in his leather duster with his hand in his jacket. So ultimately looking incredibly sketchy. Now we saw him in the car before load his gun. So we load a load, sorry, load the magazine into the gun. Now, another person we see in the crowd is Linda. So this is all very interesting. So just as Montoya is getting that much closer to Crockett and Tubbs. We see Linda in the crowd, also in a trench coat. Like, do you guys not think you'd stick out like sore thumbs at this, like, super fun Kaiocho dance event? And she pulls out a revolver, tells Montoya to freeze. That does not happen. A shootout happens. Montoya takes a hostage to use as a shield, then tosses her on the floor. And she, sorry, 
As this horrifying shootout is taking place in a very public and crowded setting with children's side, I should not be laughing, but they're able to get Montoya's goons. However, Montoya runs off. Thus begins a very neon-lit cat-and-mouse chase between Montoya and Crockett as Crockett is slowly pacing his way down this beautiful neon-lit hallway. Oh, sorry, I forgot to end, uh, mention. Linda has been shot. Let's get back to where we are now. Sorry, I forgot to add that before. As we see Crockett slowly walking through this pink hallway, this is the score that's playing. And I'm trying to identify it again. I'm going to go on uh, Marta Castillo's YouTube channel to find it because it's perfect. <laughs> Like, isn't this just like the perfect synth score set up for how this episode has been fleshed out and for how this scene is in the pink neon hallway? Now Crockett is able to make his way up to Montoya, surprise him and get him to disarm himself. So Montoya switches from holding his gun at Crockett, just putting in his palm and smiling kind of sheepishly. Oh man, well that's not the last we'll see of either Montoya or Ian McShane. Now, that's the last we hear from this episode, but let's go check it on Linda. Linda has been shot, but she'll survive. She's currently on a gurney about to get into the ambulance when she and Crockett have a heart-to-heart. Obviously, Crockett knows she messed up royally and people died because of it, and she obviously feels guilty, and she just tries to explain her reasoning to Crockett in this next clip. I'm sorry, Linda. You would have done the same thing if it was your kids, honey. You have the right to remain silent. And it's at that scene, she closes her eyes and you can see like the tears start to form around her eyes. And oh man, you can tell that Crockett doesn't want to be doing this either, but... You know, she messed up royally and people died because of it. And that line of, like, you would have done the same, like, that cuts deep. Uh, To be a bitch, I wrote in my notes, where is Billy? But, uh, long story, we'll get to Billy later on in season four and five. But let's recap the episode. Now, I don't really have much Vice tea. I will say that Ian McShane, um, because they did like a John Wick spoof with Mo called The Last Barfighter, and it's actually one of the best episodes in recent history of The Simpsons. I'm talking like within the last 10 years. Um, so actually, that's a very fun episode that I would suggest you check. And obviously, he's in there. Also, I really love Hot Rod. I like that whenever I was Googling him, I would just be getting... I never watched Deadwood. I know. I got to... The thing is, you know what movie I just saw for the first time last night? The Dark Knight. So... <laughs> the more people tell me to watch something and the more, like, I hear written about it, I don't go. And then it's funny, I did try to go to the movies last week to see a newer feature that had been getting great reviews. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put my bias, like, what I thought aside because like, it didn't look funny. The trailer didn't look funny. And I went and I was like, this is... what? Where do these reviews come from? Did you guys pay? Is this PR? So... You never know. But I know that Deadwood is a very good show and I will watch it. Now, let's get to a fashion. fashion. No surprise for my winner of this episode, which is going to be Gina 
in that white jacket with, I want to say it looks like a black turtleneck and the silver bracelet on the walkie-talkie at Gaiocho. Looks like a million bucks. It is such a good color on her. Like she looks so amazing in that shade of yellow at the precinct when she was standing next to Sunny, also in yellow. This shade just works so well for her. I hope that she just wears the, for the rest of this for the rest of season four and five because she looks like a million dollars. My best dressed men, definitely going to be Croc and Tubbs watching Montoya's interrogation, both looking like a million bucks, both wearing gray and different shades of blue, which I like. Then I added kind of like a new category, best dress ensemble. Now it's Gina and Trudy and Crockett all in jewel tones, whereas Vitek, Tubbs, except for his tie, and Castillo are gray and black, which I thought was interesting. Also a new category, most suspiciously dressed. Now it's going to be <laughs> Montoya walking in to a crowded outdoor area in a leather duster with his hand inside his pocket. Doesn't look sketchy at all. Now my best dress wild card, you have to see it to really get the essence of it was the goon from the second fake DEA raid. Obviously those gold chains just stole a piece of my heart. And we got a lot of briefcase scenes this episode. I was very impressed. Now let's talk music. So obviously I'm going to go with Brian Adams, my favorite song, just because it really just kind of like set this tone of something that shouldn't be happening is going down in the heat of the night. Even though this episode is filmed in February and people are wearing leather dusters. <laughs> And trench coats, but and it just fits for a city like Miami, right? And other music in this episode, we have Right Across the River by Dire Straits, Underwater Boys by Shriekback. Oh, I totally uh forgot to put these ones in Santiago by Fernando Villalona, and then we have The Fashion Show by Grace Jones. Oh, I can't believe I missed a Grace Jones song, I'm so sorry. Oh, and then the last song was the La Vecina, which was about the a hot neighbor who's possibly trying to steal her husband. Again, I will maybe listen to that song in full and read the lyrics and I might get a better understanding. <laughs> now, how do we pick just one quote from this episode? Let's start. See a wonderful country we live in, isn't it, Lieutenant? Even the accused have rights. Hey, to be fair, he's not wrong. And also, I wanted to put the internal affairs... But it's more his voice and his delivery than actually the line. Also, suck eggs, pal. I need to look that up. I'm Now I sound so naive. Or maybe I'm just like outdated or I'm too young to get it. Let's put it that way. We'll see. But it's with this that we are wrapping up this episode of Vice and Easy. And I just want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in each and every week. You can find me on YouTube and you can find me on your podcast streaming platform of choice. Like and subscribe. Follow me on social media at Vice and Easy Podcast. And if you like what you're here, I go to Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review. It helps the show find new listeners. I really appreciate that. Thank you all for your support. Thank you all for your messages. Thank you all for your emails as we wrap up season three. And get ready because next week is Viking Bikers from Hell. As always. Hey, man. Miami Wise is number one. You're sure.